Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so we can create products that our customers love. Today, we're talking about making virtual product teams more effective. And our guest is Anna Marie Clifton. She's the head of product at Val. She's leading the effort to make virtual meetings more effective by turning them into searchable, shareable knowledge. Interested to hear more about that. And before Val, she held senior product management roles at Asana, Coinbase, and Yammer. For those of you that would like to share this episode with others in a written format, we create detailed notes for you. We also create a one-page action guide of the key takeaways that Anna Marie will share with us. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 441. This episode is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM experience. This is my system to help product VPs and leaders get their product managers and everyone else that's contributing to product to increase their performance, working in alignment with each other, and reaching towards that North Star, achieving those North Star objectives. It really is the best way for teams to establish trust and build collaboration as they learn fundamental product management knowledge together. Gets everyone on the same page. It's unlike other training, it's a true experience. If you're interested in finding out more about that, simply go to productmasterynow.com RPM and see if it can help you. Anna Marie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. Excited to be on the show and chat about this. Yeah, virtual teams have been around for a long time, right? We, I think many of us have been a part of virtual teams, geographically dispersed teams for many years. But COVID certainly increased this for many of us as well. And the first thing I just wanted to dive into was what I often see as one of the more challenging aspects of virtual teams is that trust aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're meeting together, it's easier to build a sense of trust and rapport and you kind of get to know each other in a more real way, it seems. But in virtual teams, this can be more challenging. I'd like to just dive in there, dive into the deep into the pool first. What have you done? What's your advice for helping us to build that trust? I love that question because it is the truth of the matter. Trust is at the foundation of everything. Trust builds velocity. Trust builds product. And it's hard in virtual environments. The reality is we're monkeys and monkeys were designed to interact in person. And there's something about the little few millisecond lag in a video conference that's going to make it a little bit harder. The fact that you're not going to be able to lean over tap someone on the shoulder and chat. And the fact that you can't just see each other working and know, I know that person's working and we're in this together because I see them. So it is really critical. There's a bunch of things that I've thought about here in terms of trust. One of the things that I started doing first when I had a kind of a distributed team based at Coinbase was thinking about ways to incorporate team members from, especially if you have kind of like a hybrid setting where you have some of your team co-located and some of your team not. I actually think that's the hardest for building trust because- I agree with you. There's that in-group, there's that click, the local click, and then there's the remote participant. One thing that I love doing with our team there is we had a little kind of a mascot for our team, which is something we developed just to give ourselves a little bit more of a team culture. We just chose a mascot. It was the Count from, is that Sesame Street or the Muppets? I think Sesame Sesame Street. Street. Yeah. Of course, the Count. The Count, yeah. So our team was working on all of the kind of trading, all the buying and selling and trading of Coinbase. And uh, so the Count, one, two, three, ha ha. Uh, and we would we would send the count stuffed animal to our colleague who was not co-located with us. And so we would have this thing that would travel around that was a symbol of our cohesion. And it takes extra effort for sure, but it was a really fun thing to do. And we would send it, someone would give someone props at a sprint retro, and that person would then get the count for the next sprint. So we would send it to the non-co-located team members so they could be kind of part of that for the upcoming sprint. But when it comes to just trust generally, one of the biggest things that I've found, especially as you move up into more more senior positions, is the vulnerability and admitting mistakes. 
mistakes. I go really far out of my way to call out any time I make a mistake in front of everyone that I work with. I'm like, oh, look at that. I made a mistake there. Look at that. Woohoo. And you can do that not just in the moment when you're making a mistake, but also in reference to a past mistake of talking about something. Like, oh, let me tell you about a time when I made a mistake about this. And that really humanizes yourself and sets the tone that it's okay to make mistakes, that this is a safe space. One of the best ways to build trust is to support, to share vulnerability. If I'm being vulnerable with you, you can for sure trust me because you have something you can hold over me. You know about my mess ups. You can hold those over my head if you want, which means I'm in a position to be trusted because you have power. And so I think that one's a really critical, especially for leaders to, to be vocal and vulnerable with current and past mistakes and set the tone that that's the trust pool that you're living in. Yeah, excellent. So I like those aspects of trust. I was actually part of a small research team with my academic hat on for like 2012 to 2016, investigating how webcams impacted trust in virtual teams. Not surprising at all, we found webcams made a big difference because you get to see people, it adds another communication channel where you establish trust and rapport more quickly. But fundamentally, the thing that we kept coming back to for trust was a lot of it has to do with just following through on what you say as well. The mm-hmm. I love the mascot because you got to get people involved and you're trying to build a certain culture as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Sharing your vulnerabilities and like when you screw up, especially as leaders, that's so important for that power imbalance that can happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it too was just... Yeah, I said I was going to do this, and I did it. And if I didn't do it, then people aren't so sure if they can actually trust what you say or not. Totally. That's actually something I coach new product managers on a lot, is when you're joining a team, or maybe not new product managers, but product managers that are new to a team. When you're joining a team or joining an organization, in order to set that foundation of trust, one of the best things to do is to identify People talk about early wins. I think there's something that comes even before the early win, which is the early commitment. Find things that you can say, oh, I will do X, Y, Z, that you are very confident you know how to do, and that has a very short time window on it. Okay, yes, I'll let you know tomorrow about blah, blah, blah. And seek those out for your first few weeks and give those to people as kind of promissory notes of, yep, I'm going to do this thing by this time, and then turn it around and do it by that time and build that really quick cadence of feedback where people see, you've said you'll do a thing, you did the thing. And that just starts to build, have the academic research lab to come from, which is amazing. I love that. Um, But I've seen it in practice really build that rapport and that expectation that this is a reliable person before you end up in a situation where you need to hand someone a complete product road map and be like, okay, good luck. I've seen that to be like one of the best ways to get going on a new team or new company. And I figured this out when I first transitioned from a senior product role in one company to a senior product role in another company. And I remember my first few weeks and months at that second company were a big kind of what is going on here? Because I didn't realize that a lot of the success that I had built up at the previous company was due to years of showing up and doing the work and becoming trusted and doing very well. And that I attributed it to more of a skills. I was like, oh, I have all these senior product manager skills. I'm just going to go over here and be a good senior product manager. And it turns out that a lot of what it takes to be a good product manager is being trusted by the organization. And that doesn't translate when you tra- when you translate organizations. It can translate when you translate when you switch teams within an organization, not necessarily. But when you actually move organizations, you really start from like a clean trust slate, and you have to really quickly build that balance sheet up in a positive direction. It's a real double take when you're like, why are people like not just doing what I think we should do? Like 
I'm really good at this. So they don't know that. They have no reason to know that. You have to demonstrate that. So giving people little commitments that you can deliver on even the next 24 hours and doing that repeatedly in your first few weeks is one of the best ways to accelerate that. I love that. We're going to record for our normal amount of time, but we could wrap up there with, with that was a good mic drop moment. Such good <laughs> advice for anyone on teams, for people coming into a new position with a new team or a new organization, and obviously virtual teams as well. I like how you phrase it, right? Say you're going to do a thing and then do that thing and look for really quick things early on that you can get back to them maybe the next day very quickly and build up that cadence of feedback that, oh yeah, you said you're going to do that and you did that. That's great. It's such a good way to establish trust. And you're right. It's not just about your skills and your expertise. You got to build kind of your reputation with people. And a lot of that involves trust. We'll be back with our guest in a moment. As you are a listener to this podcast, I want you to know how you can get even greater value from it, which is by becoming a member of the Product Mastery Now community. After being closed to new members for the last six months, it's now open. The community lets you meet the weekly guests yourself and ask your questions. If you miss these live sessions, you can view the video recording months before the audio-only version is available on podcast players, like what you're listening to now. You can also use Super Search to search the content of all past episodes, both in audio and video when available. The community is also the place to interact with other product professionals and get tips and advice. And that's just part of what the community offers. In my opinion, working in product is the best job you can have. Now, of course, I'm biased, but that's been true for me and true for many others I talk to. But still, many of us have few opportunities to network and learn from other product professionals. Let's change that. Since you already find this podcast valuable, you need to be in the community also, and you can be for as little as $10 a month. You'll be helping yourself and also helping this podcast. Please join now by going to productmasterynow.com slash community. Thanks for checking it out. Okay, another topic about virtual teams. So on virtual teams, we're obviously working remotely. We have some objectives of the team we're trying to get done, right? We're accountable to that, hopefully, holding everyone mutually accountable to that as well. It's still hard, I think, to stay in alignment. You and I talked for 15 minutes about some objective we have. It's very possible we're both going to walk away from that meeting. And I'm going to think like one thing is really important. And you're going to think another thing is really important. And if we get together next week to see where we are with that, we could be in two very different places, actually. What have you found to help people stay in alignment? Yeah, alignment is, I think, the most important aspect of team functioning. You have to trust that you're going to go in the right direction. But maintaining alignment is so challenging and so critical. And it's one of those things that until you're in an organization where there's a lack of alignment, you don't notice how completely frenetic it can be. I remember I was in a meeting one time where we were talking about velocity and how to improve team velocity. And my counterpart, Tenny, in data science kind of raised her hand and she was like, we're talking a lot about velocity and how to improve like the speed of engineering effectively and the speed of design and product as well. But velocity is speed plus direction. You know, if you move really quickly forward and you move really quickly backward, you've moved quickly, high speed, but low velocity. You haven't gone anywhere. And so one of the best ways you can improve velocity, especially as an organizational leader, is by focusing on alignment and not necessarily speed. The laws of entropy being what they are, 
the state of reality is everything is always trending towards less alignment. The default state, just remember, the default state is that as time moves forward, people are becoming less aligned. And your job, especially as a product leader, is to fight against the entropy, (laughs) fight against thermodynamics, and continue to pull people back into the alignment that you hopefully have created. It's, it's all about communication. There's the adage that people have finally heard something once you're tired of saying it. It's true. you got to say it way more than you think you do because you have this foundation internally of what people should know because it's what you know. You're like, oh, we said this thing like three weeks ago. How could people forget? It's because people went to make a cup of coffee and picked their kids up from school and then worked on this project really hard and they forgot. So over-communication is the key here. So for at Vowel, for us, we do all hands every two weeks and our product team will share a product update and most product updates will include a high-level touch of Remember, here's where we're headed. Here's why we're headed there. And then every quarter we'll do a really big breakout of just let's do a high level, full all hands about the product strategy. Where, what is our current product strategy? How, if at all, has it changed since the last quarter? Still say the same? Great. You got to say it again. Even if it's constant, you need to keep reiterating it. We also, I strongly encourage good posts in Slack in general. I have a lot of thoughts about good Slack hygiene or teams. Don't discriminate. And then the, the communication with your teams in one-on-ones. One of my favorite things to do in every one-on-one is start the conversation with a question, what's the most important thing? And it gets a little repetitive if you do it every week, but if you start doing it every two to three weeks, it's a great question to pull your teammate or your colleague or your report or your manager even out of the minutia of tactics and into, okay, what is the most important thing for the company right now? Have we been talking about that? Within the purview of what we're thinking about, what is the most important thing? So I think that's, really beautiful little like communication hack that can keep you focused and keep you aligned. And then the big thing that I've learned is that teams, people as individuals, and then teams as groups of individuals have a certain capacity for change. They can only absorb so much change so quickly. And one of the things that makes a startup a great startup is when it has a really high capacity for change and people are really able to just like quickly adjust and be like, okay, it was this, now it's that. And that is, that's a great thing for a small organization. The larger the organization you get, you actually don't want to be that able to like quickly change. You want it to be like a little bit slower, but change, the capacity for change is a budget that you get to spend as a leader and giving people a lot of heads up notice of when a change is coming of, Hey, we're headed in this direction. The most important thing is we're building right now. And we think that's going to be about a six month build out in, in this theme. We do product themes. So, you know, PMs fill out projects within a theme. The roadmap has like high level, what's the highest priority themes. PMs kind of define projects within those themes, but those themes come from leadership and giving teams a really long time horizon view of how long a theme is expected to be valid gives them a lot of like confidence and security to execute within that theme and prepare to shift to the next thing when it's time for the next thing. And I found you don't necessarily need to know what the next thing is going to be when you tell them like, hey, I think this is going to be important for about six months. We'll do the next thing next. We'll figure out what the right next theme is for which teams, but giving people a good heads up. I definitely have learned that the hard way by not giving people heads up and just being like, okay, great. We did that one. Now this next thing. And people were like, wait a second. We've been like all gears going in this direction for quite some time. It takes a while to shift that perspective. And one thing that you will see when you're watching for this is that It's not that someone's going to raise their hand and say, I'm not ready to change. They're not thinking like that. It's not that they have processed that they were doing this thing and you're asking them to do this other thing and they're not sure they're ready. It's that 
They were going in a direction and they've put all of their mental energy into getting really good at that. And then asking them to shift is keep accidentally doing that. They keep doing the prior thing on accident. They keep thinking about, oh, here's a good project that would help with that thing. And it's, that thing's not a priority anymore. But it's like hard to unlearn that foundation of where you're headed. So giving people like a really strong heads up on when they're not going to be headed in that direction anymore can help them be able to switch more quickly to the next thing. Yeah, it's not that they don't want to change, but they have some investment in what they've been doing. And we all get attached, especially as product people, to our baby. You hear this phrase, right? The This thing that we're creating. I always like to remind people or share with them that are new in the space, fall in love with the problem, not the solution, because our solution is going to have to change and evolve as we learn more about the problem. Totally. But as you were talking, the thing that flashed through my mind the most was that analogy that product managers are like CEOs. And I was thinking of this only in this context that the CEO does have this vision mm. of where we're going, of the organization, and knows what the strategic objectives are and expects everyone else does too. Mm. You're right. We have to just over-communicate. This is where we're headed. This is why we're heading there. These are the things we're doing to get there and over-communicate that because we tend to forget that we're not as invested as the CEO is in that narrative all the time. One thing that we started doing at Vowel maybe a few months ago is, again, I love these little like process hacks or communication mm -hmm. hacks that really like help enforce the right kinds of behaviors. And one thing that we did is we have demos that we do every two weeks of what have we built. And we added a little step in the demo process where the engineer who's demoing the work talks about why this is important for the customer and what impact it's supposed to have. And the fact that we ask our engineers to answer those questions and be prepared to share in front of a stakeholder audience what the answers are to those questions means the engineers now know that oh, I better know what the answer is to this. And at first, we'd get to demos and they'd be like, oh, why, would we, why was this one important again? I don't know. I was just told to do it. And then after a few iterations of that, people are very prepared to say, okay, this is what the impact is going to be for the customers. This is why it matters. And you start getting like a closer alignment between especially the engineers, not just the PMs, but the engineers and the product strategy and the product vision. And that has been a really beautiful little hack. You just kind of like insert that piece and it forces people to be more engaged and involved. And the result of that is our engineering teams have become really key, like key collaborators in driving product ideas because they're more deeply invested in like where we're going and why, that they can be like, oh, that was the point of that project. What about this other thing that could also help do that? And that's been a really beautiful thing to watch happen more and more organically. Oh, what a great transformation. I'm curious, do you ever have on those demo days, do you have actual customers participating in that? No, we haven't done that. We use demo days specifically as a feedback cadence for, for the team to share, hey, here's what we've been building, but also that is the checkpoint for executives to give stakeholder feedback. And it's almost a forcing function to keep executives out of the day-to-day -day and not just dropping a bunch of feedback in Slack channels as much as it is anything else. It's, it serves a lot of purposes, honestly. But one of the great purposes that I love is the good, deep feedback that you get from executives when they're like really thinking hard about something that's being shown to them versus the kind of flippant, here's an idea, here's an idea, that can happen sometimes. <laughs> really helpful. So now for a more sort of general sort of question, what advice do you have for team members to help make virtual teams more effective? And I specifically wanted to ask you about this because we hear a lot of advice in interview, you hit on some really good points already about what leaders can do, but I feel there's a responsibility as team members to make the team effective. And then the virtual team environment, what can we do about that? What are your ideas? The first thing is mindset. For you as an individual to take on the mindset that you have agency. The thing that I love about culture is that 
everything is contagious. And the thing that I hate about culture is that everything is contagious. And what that means is as an individual, anything that you show up and start doing will start spreading to other people. So if you really want your team to be more invested in the product, show up and start being more invested in the product and demonstrate that. And that will start to spread some ways that I think like some more tactical things that are really useful, like right away, really love anyone in any meeting ever or a Slack thread, even asking what's the goal? What is the goal of this meeting? What is the goal of this project? What is the goal of this bug fix or anything like that? And that question in and of itself is often like a real beautiful little, I don't know, it's like a hand grenade made of potpourri of just, ah, yes, what is the goal? And everything just starts smelling nicer. And it it can really help keep people out of these nitty gritty weeds and up at the level of, oh, that's the goal. Maybe we don't even need to have this whole sub debate that we're having. And that's something that no matter what role you're in, no matter what level you're at, it's always going to work to ask that question of, hey, what's the goal here? And if you start asking that question a lot, pretty soon you're going to get promoted to the level of people whose job it is to make sure that's happening. So just pro tip there. So huge fan of focusing on goals. Anyone can do that. Huge fan of meeting agendas. I think the agenda a lot of time gets this like weird, bad rap of, okay, I'm going to think really hard about what this hour is for, or this half hour is for, and I'm going to send everyone out a pre-read and there's going to be slides or content. And that, that can be appropriate for a particular type of meeting. But for even the most casual of meetings to start the conversation with, hey, what's the agenda? What do we want to accomplish here? Can really help those like long, awkward, rambly never ending conversations that don't seem to actually matter from happening and can make them actually matter and not be so long and rambly. I think one of the shames of what happens with virtual work is that because we, none of us have the excuse of saying, I got to get across the, to the other side of the building, or I've got, there's reasons you have to physically move. And a lot of times that reason is someone else is coming for your conference room. That doesn't happen in the virtual space. As long as you don't have a hard stop, everyone can keep chatting at you. And so getting pretty good at making sure what is it we're discussing and let's make sure to close the conversation and end it once we've discussed that can give A, everyone a lot of time back and B, just bring a lot more energy to the conversation. Like the Zoom fatigue is real, but it comes from people just meandering in the conversation and just languishing in this pool of mediocrity of the conversation. When you have very crisp conversations of we need to cover these three topics, one, two, three, ooh, interesting. And then you close the conversation, it can give you energy and it takes less time too. Huge fan of no matter what your role, no matter what your job is, when the conversation starts, ask what the agenda should be. And you can make it up at the beginning of the conversation. A three to five minutes spent defining an agenda is a great use of a meeting. The first three to five minutes. Yeah. Agree what you're going to do. Yeah. Agree what you're going to do. And then end the conversation once you've done it. That's the efficient thing. Again, when you end the conversation, very clear next steps. Who is doing what by when? One of the easiest ways for things to fall through the cracks is like the classic term, but I think virtual teams suffer a little bit more from the kind of great, okay, we had a conversation and you kind of like move on and then nothing comes of it. And just being very clear at the end of the conversation, okay, what were the next steps that we agreed upon? Who is accountable for those? And like, when will those happen? Can help keep the conversation actually moving into real work. And then speaking of conversation, please, when you can, use a public channel to discuss anything for work. If you are having a private conversation or, hey, are you coming to this meeting? Or, wow, did you see that Twitter 
Dogecoin emoji. There's lots of uses for private DMs, but I find that the default in virtual environments is to be like, I don't want to bother people. So I'm just going to DM someone. I don't want it to be like in the channel. And that's actually really counterproductive to effective working virtual teams for a bunch of reasons. One, it means that it can feel empty. It can feel like a ghost town. People can feel like they're working by themselves when there's nothing really happening that they can see anyway. And if you see instead that people are having real work conversations, you don't need to be in them. You don't need to be participating, but you can see that they're happening. It can keep your energy up. We all feed off of the energy of each other. So that's really important. The second thing is it's so important to be able to pull in someone else when you're like, oh, you know what? Bob would really have a good idea here. You have no shared context with Bob because this is in a private conversation between you and Chad and there's that take screenshots or copy paste or things like that. And then finding them after the fact, it's so challenging to find content that's stuck in DMs. It's much, much easier when it's in channels. So I am a very huge, I have a lot of Slack etiquette for virtual teams, but one of the biggest ones is use public channels as much as possible and thread so that it's not crazy chatty. Make it a thread. Here's a top, a, a thread starter for a topic. Then there's a private thread that people can hop into if they're relevant, but they don't need to be pinged about. Good. Have you happened to post any of that Slack etiquette anywhere? That that, that sounds like that could be really, really valuable for people. You know what? I will write that up. I love writing about product and organizational process. And I've explored the Slack etiquette in a bunch of different settings, and I'm very passionate about it. It's one of the things that I do when I have a first conversation with a new Vowel employee. I try to meet all the new employees across the organization and I usually walk them through, hey, here's like why we have this etiquette. Here's like how it's helpful. Because it's so easy to think that the way to use Slack or the way to use any communication tool that everyone does is whatever you came from. Whatever your previous organization did, that's like how people work. And then Alice just joined from another company and she thinks the same thing, but it's completely different. And so you have completely different sets of expectations when people are joining, especially critical when you have a global audience. So Vowel, we have employees in 11 different time zones. Mm -hmm. 11 different time zones means 11 different, there's lots of countries represented, lots of work cultures. There's a lot that you get to take for granted when you are hiring in a pool of very co-located people who have all worked at the same kinds of companies for the past 10 years. Very different when you're hiring people from completely different work and life cultures. And so setting those norms up front is really critical to ensure that your team can be efficient and effective. A little bit harder, and your question here was about team members, not leaders, a little bit harder for team members to set Slack etiquette, with the exception of the fact that everything is contagious. So if you start doing something and if you like mention to one or two of your friends, hey, like maybe can you join in the secret cabal of people who post in public channels instead of DMs, you can start to get that going. The trick to get a motion, a movement going is to do it a lot and get like one or two other people to start doing it with you. And then other people will be like, oh, this seems like the thing that we do. Let's like join in. So you can like shift company culture that way if you want to. And after people listen to this, and if you have a write-up, it will put a link in the show notes to make it easy. I'll do that. They might say, hey, check this out. This is from the head of product, a woman that has really good experience doing product things about her recommendations for Slack. I think maybe we should think about adopting this. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> Take the world by storm. <laughs> I love some of the key points you put in there, just the mechanics of having meetings and them being non-transparent channels if you're talking about communications with others for the meeting, having the agenda. And then something I think is so very important that you shared was at the end, having the clear who, you know, what, when, you know, who's accountable for getting what done. 
which is the part I absolutely hate doing, right? I hate leaving the meeting and then having to go put this together, share it with everyone. It's just it's extra work and I don't know why I just revolt against it, but I know it's so important to do. Which takes me to wanting to know about communication tools that you might use. And just for sake of time, we're just going to highlight a few here, but communication tools for virtual teams. And also, I want to get to how Val is helping with some of these problems as well. Um, so communication tools, just a couple more things on Slack etiquette. I talked a little bit about Slack etiquette. I think I've probably covered enough there. I just do want to say that like, when you're writing something, one really important thing at any level is to think about the number of people that are going to read it. And think about putting in the effort to make it clear and understandable, commiserate with the size of the audience. So a lot of times we think about making, we write things for the sake of how fast and easy it is to write. And if you can shift your perspective to writing it to think about how fast and easy it is to read and understand, that's really critical, especially as you are posting with larger and larger audiences. I will die on the hill of this one calendar hack for remote teams. Like this is, if you take nothing else away from this conversation right now, go to your calendar, open up your settings and change your settings for guests are allowed to modify the event. Because the thing that will just kill your momentum as an organization, especially if you're working across time zones, is this back and forth of, oh, that time doesn't work. I have this. I got to pick up my kid. Can we do this other time? No. What about this? Blah, blah, blah. Cut it all out. Everyone at Vowel has their calendar set up so that anyone at Vowel can change any of the meetings that they're invited to. And that saves so much time and so much headache for virtual teams. Great tip. Don't need to bicker or banter about it. Just schedule it. I really wish that was the default Google setting, especially for people within your workspace should be able to move the meeting that you've invited them to. So it would save everyone so much time. Like Google would give years of people's lives back. And then meeting hygiene. I love meetings. I love meeting hygiene. I love a good meeting. I hate a bad meeting. I love a good meeting. There's a reason I joined Bell's meeting platform designed to make all these things easier. Huge suggestions here, regardless of what you're using, Val makes all this pretty easy, but record your meetings. If it's a work meeting, if it's not something super sensitive, record it. That allows you to, as an attendee, decide if you actually matter. Do you need to be in the meeting? Are you going to be a participant or are you just going to be observing? Because if you're just observing, you don't need to be there. You can catch up on the recording at two times the speed. You can get a clip. You can look at the AI summary and jump right to any relevant moment. You can save yourself hours of meetings by not being the ones that don't matter to you. And that means that any time that there's something that you have forgotten, because how many times do you forget something that happens in a meeting? It's there. You can just, in a moment, search for a thing that happened instead of having to go have that conversation again and re-decide something you decided a few weeks ago and forgot. Huge fan. Record. Record by default. The transcribe by default. Make sure it's searchable. Make sure you can always go back to that. That just means that your meetings just become this beautiful repository of knowledge instead of a thing that takes up your time and hopefully you document it a lot. <laughs> because to your point, documenting meetings sucks. And on the action items note, the thing that I think is really killer for who's doing what by when is deciding that in the meeting and making sure everyone agrees in the meeting. So one of the things that I absolutely love about Vowel or any other tool that you can get to do this is have your notes open, have everyone looking at the same notes at the same time, because this is a beautiful thing that happens in conversation where you're in this kind of fuzzy space of idea, idea. What about this? Okay, we should do this. Oh, wait, no, that's a bad idea. And like you even this like really fuzzy space. And as the meeting ends, people can take away from that all sorts of different conclusions, the reasonable conclusions, because like earlier in the meeting, you did say that, but then they missed that you just at the end, you said, no, we're not doing that. And everything can get very fuzzy. 
But if you have it written down where everyone can see, okay, this was the decision and it's right there. The number of times that I've seen people say, oh, wait, oh, I thought we didn't agree to that. Oh, okay. In the meeting that can save you hours of headache later where people are going in different directions and misaligned. The written word is the key to keeping people aligned. And in your meetings, having an interface for the written word for what the actual conclusions are from the conversation can really help crystallize everything that's happening in this very fuzzy space. Huge fan of the written word for all of that. I personally love, I honestly just get so many hours in my week back from using a tool that records and transcribes and lets you search and automatically summarizes and takes notes and suggests action items and all these things just as you go in the background. And I love that about this moment that we're living in is that we have tools like Vowel that can do all of this for you and allow you to use the interface to work instead of having all the work about work of let me document all the notes, let me send the email, let me make sure the action items are captured. And that's just all happening throughout the conversation latently. It makes the work just more delightful, like right. surface and more fun. Okay. So I love that. As we're talking about Val, let's just quickly introduce listeners to this a little bit more. And in my mind, I want it contrasted to Zoom because that's what I know the most, right? I don't know if this is an add-in to Zoom, if it takes the place of Zoom. Can you just give us the 60-second summary here? So Vowel is a complete standalone video conferencing meeting solution. So you don't use it on top of Zoom. You go to vowel.com and you join your call. The contrast there is instead of it being just a video conference, it's also everything before your call. You can see all your agendas. You can collaborate on all your agendas before the call. It's everything after the call. You have your repository. Like, where does a Zoom recording go after you record it? Do you know? Like, where does that go? If I push the record button, I know, but that's it. I, no one else knows, right? Exactly. Exactly. And no one else can record. No right. one else can stop the recording. Val is designed around teams working together collaboratively. I think Zoom is a little bit more antagonistic in that way. And so Val is an interface after the meeting. You get immediately, as soon as you hang up, you get an AI summary that links you to timestamps in the meeting where everything that was talked about. I skip meetings all the time now. I just look at this the summary and I like jump to a relevant moment. I'm like, oh, that actually matters to me. Let me watch that 30 seconds. And great, done. I didn't need to go to an hour long meeting. So that's all that interface in the kind of the repository and the workspace of like your meetings as a source of knowledge is the, the product that Val is designed to be. Okay. And you said simply Val.com. Val.com. Yeah, it. absolutely. And if you, for your listeners, if anyone wants to sign up for three months free, they can use the code product mastery in checkout. Fantastic. Product Mastery. We'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. As listeners know, we do like innovation quotes around here. I asked you to bring one for us and share just a little bit about what that means to you. Yeah. So I, I share, I, maybe it was Mark Twain, maybe it was Jeff Bezos, but somebody said that it takes 10 years to create an overnight success. And I love that. I think that it's really important as product builders to remember things pop and you're like, oh man, they like create that great thing. It took a long time for that company to build that great thing. And great things are built over periods of long time. Vowel was originally created in 2019, like pre-pandemic, and has been building the video infrastructure upon which to add all this incredible AI that we've been uncovering as a kind of several years foresight of this is coming, let's build the infrastructure that can support the AI experiences that we're going to have available to us. And there's the skate to the puck where it's headed and things like that. But I think it's important to, as product people, to stay excited and remember that you are building things for the long haul. Um, it's not for one single moment and you are laying the foundation for your success 
now that you will realize later. And that's your OKRs from this quarter. Probably are not coming from things you came up with and research you did this quarter. You're building things for the future and you're building the future as you build it, but it doesn't happen overnight. It does not. It takes time and effort and lots of pivots typically along the way as we're learning too. I wanted to bring up the agenda just one more time. I was part of a small group once that one of their hacks for the agenda, and maybe you've seen this or seen it, I thought maybe if it's not unvowed, it's something to think about. They would have part of their agenda for process. They would talk about what we're trying to accomplish, but then they would always include the process element. And that can be really short, and it's dependent on the team. Like if they, and these terms might not mean anything to people, but we're going to use brain writing for the next 15 minutes to uncover something. We're going to use nominal group technique, whatever. The process to do the thing so everyone goes, oh yeah, we know how this is going to work. We're going to show up. We need to make this decision. We're going to use this process for that. We're going to spend this much time on it and... I thought that's really smart because it helps people get in the right mindset ahead of time to think about this is what we're going to get done. I love that. I love that so much. I think they keep signaling and signposting to people how you're planning on doing work is one of the best ways to do work quickly. Let them know in advance, not what the work will be necessarily, but like how you'll go about it. That's amazing. I love that. And I love your quote too. All of us are working on overnight successes that takes us sometimes many years. Okay, we know people can go to vow.com to find out more about what you are doing now, which is this tool for virtual teams to make teams more effective when we are having these virtual team meetings. Anything else that you want to point us to in terms of resources? Obviously, that article I'm going to write on Slack hygiene. So (laughs) www.articletbd.com. I also, I love chatting on Twitter with product makers. I'm at Tweet Anna Marie. Hit me up if you have any other success things that you've seen for virtual teams or any struggles that you've seen. I'd love to chat about it. I'm Tweet Anna Marie, also on Medium, Tweet Anna Marie as well. Okay, fantastic. We will put those links in the show notes as well. Anna-Marie, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate the insights about being a better virtual team participant and leader and make these virtual teams work better. Thanks so much, Chad. That was great chatting with you. And listeners, as a reminder, if you go to productmasterynow.com slash 411, you'll find a written summary of everything we discussed, including that one-page action guide to help you put into immediate action some of the key takeaways from this discussion, as well as using it as a really good discussion aid if you want to talk about what we talked about with others. So everyone, thank you so much. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.